You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. There we are. We are a church that, uh, as pastors and preachers, we'd love for you to talk back to us, just not in that way, right? So careful uh, with what you give uh, church body permission to do. Uh, now I'm Cody Sykes. I'm the campus pastor of New Life Church Midland. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we want to tell you welcome. Church family, would you join me in welcoming any first-time guests in the room? Thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys for coming. It's going to be, uh, I believe it's, it's already a great day. Can you give it up for our worship team and Tracy and it's so awesome. So I opened the service and uh, before worship and had a word of knowledge about some eyes. How are the eyes in the room? Are we good? Yours were healed? Come on. That's awesome. Where else were the other ones? Yours is good too? Come on. Anybody else? Dude, that's so awesome. So if you were late to getting into the room, uh, what, yep, right there. Yours is good too? Come on, three, let's go. I love it. So uh, if, you're, if you're late to getting into the room, we opened the service and I just felt like there was someone that was dealing with some abnormal eye issues and that the Lord was going to heal their eyes during worship. So we just had put it before the Lord and uh, believed that he was going to heal them during worship and, and he did because he's faithful and he is God. Amen. And we serve a big God. Come on, give me a good amen. Super cool. Um, I'm going to share with you this morning and super honored and thankful to be able to share with you uh, every Sunday or when the Sundays that I get to. Um, but yesterday I was in my office and I got a news update on my watch, which is a problem because I thought I had all those things turned off. I only want, only want to see the things that I want to see and this was a news update and sometimes uh, the news updates just irritate the heck out of me. This one caught my attention for some reason. Uh, but it was about the U.S. men's soccer team and kind of their their World Cup dreams coming to an end early and the headline caught my attention. It said this, it was a quote. And it said this, it says, in the end, it is the hope that kills us all. So I clicked the story, because I'm like, okay, I wanna know more about why this quote says what it says. It takes me to a podcast, and this podcast is like two people that are recapping things from World Cup, and uh, the hostess, she said this, hope is this horrible, weird, addictive thing that in the end, kills us all. And it just kind of gutted me a little bit because that is not the hope that I know. And I, I, I know the hope that she's talking about, though. I used, to, I used to be in a relationship with that hope. Anybody else been in that relationship before where it seemed like everything that you did, no matter what, there was going to be hopelessness attached to everything that was happening in your life? Uh, that is a worldly hope that is fleeting, that has no power, but we serve a God that is the God of hope. And so we have this, uh, this hope and this confident expectation that God is who he says that he is and he's going to do the things that he said he's going to do. That is the hope that we actually get to um, partake in every single day. And so today I'm going to talk specifically about hope and this idea that God has given us a hope and a future. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. Uh, we're going to read 13 through 35. It's going to be up on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. First service, I held the microphone like this because I have great etiquette, according to Henry. 
Uh, Henry's our sound guy. He's incredible, but he will get after you if you do this with a microphone while you're preaching. And so I, I talked to so many people between services, and no one told me that I had a giant indention in my beard from the microphone. So if I talked to you and you didn't tell me, we're not friends now. Because I was walking and it looked like my beard was just parted down the middle. And so thank you for that. Hope you got a good laugh. Anyways, back to the Lord. Uh, verse 13 says, Now that same day two men, uh, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, uh, about, a, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priest and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped, just underline that, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what, what, and what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but did not see Jesus. He said to them, "How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all of the prophets have, all what all of the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village which they were going." Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those, who, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Super interesting set of scriptures. We're gonna dive into them, but I'm gonna pray first. Father, I thank you for... Uh, Every person in this room, I thank you for your love for them. Uh, I just ask, God, that in the next few moments that we have together, God, that you would touch us in a beautiful way, that you would touch our ears, that we would have ears that are open to hear, uh, that you would give us revelation about hope today. Uh, I thank you that you are the everlasting God, and uh, we're so thankful that you make your, your dwelling amongst us. And so I pray that uh, the things that I speak um, they have your anointing attached to them, your grace is on them, God. And I pray, Father, that you would lead and guide us uh, further into a relationship with you through your word that is alive and it is well. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever been in a situation 
where uh, I'm sure everybody has, where you had an expectation of how something was going to go, and then it didn't go that way. Like multiple times over, we're in these positions. I remember one time in particular, it's kind of a, a tragedy. Sometimes, like, it was fine that it didn't go the way that I wanted to, and then there's others, like, that was just tragic. There was this time where I, I really felt the need as a man, since I could grow a beard, to get a straight razor shave. It's like a rite of passage, you know what I mean? Um, some of the guys that don't have beards are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it's okay. But there was this time when I was like, I have to go into a barbershop. I could see this as my expectation. Like, I'm going to walk into a barbershop, and it's going to be this older gentleman who's probably a war vet who's got the, the, the veteran's hat on and the, the, the tattoos on his forearms that you can't read anymore because they're faded, but you know that he was a legit dude and did some things. Uh, he's going to actually set me in his chair, and he's going to tell me all these incredible stories uh, about life and wisdom and all these things. He's going to lay me back. He's going to take care of my face and do all the things properly uh, before he starts shaving me with a, with a razor. And it's going to be this incredible thing, and then he's going to put the hot towel thing on me. And uh, it was like all of these things that I had seen in movies, you know, uh, that I'm expecting to happen. And I walk in, and once, you're wa- once you walk in, you're kind of committed you know, and then you, then you ask for the service, and you're really committed. But the problem was I was thinking that he was in the back room, but he wasn't in the back room. And the lady that was helping me was someone that reminded me of the Waterboy's mom on the movie. You know, like the one that clotheslined the dad at the end of the movie? And all of a sudden, she's like, well, sit in the chair. And I'm like, hold on a second. My expectation was that I was going to get shaved by someone that knew what's happening with the man's face and you're the water boy's mom and now I'm nervous and so what ended up happening was not what I expected or hoped for Uh, I walked out of there you know like when you mow a yard that's uneven but you mow it on the lowest setting and like there's parts of it that look good and then there's other parts that are just burnt or skint well that's that's what my face was like after this experience it's like I had more, more pieces of tissue paper on my face stopping the, the blood from pouring. I needed a blood transfusion after this. Not what I expected, not what I hoped for. It was that kind of experience. And, and one thing about hope is, is that hope is created by expectation. And so many times of our life, we, we have an expectation for how something should go based on something that someone tells us or something that we've seen happen in someone else's life, but it, it sets an expectation that this is how this is going to go, and so now we have this hope, this expectation, that this is the planned outcome, this is the desired outcome that I'm going to experience. And it doesn't always happen that way, right? We, we say things, we hear things, people say things to us that create an expectation, and then we, 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 we put the expectation at the top of our list, and then when they don't actually fulfill the expectation, now our hope has been broken, and there's kind of a trust that's been mis- misrepresented, and it's kind of been broken, and now our perception of the person has the opportunity to change. And so hope is, is an interesting thing created by expectation. I was thinking about a couple of scriptures uh, when, when thinking about just what it's like to create expectation, even with our mouth. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than that comes from the evil one. Like, man, that's dicey, Lord. Like, why you got to cut us like that? Because we've all been in the position where we're like, 
it's not a yes, it's not a no, it's a maybe, or we'll see. Like, how many of you have kids in the room who ask for the same thing 14 times a day? And oftentimes we land in this place of saying, yeah, we'll, we'll see in a, in a little bit. Or maybe later. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, if you tell a six-year-old, we'll see, all they heard was yes because they didn't hear no. I'm not kidding. I have one. She may be the most persistent person on the face of the earth. But if I tell her no, she's good with it. If I tell her yes, obviously she's really great with it. She asked me so many times, Dad, when can we have a yes day? This is where her brain's at. When can we just have a yes day? But if I tell her we'll see, she walks away with this expectation that it's probably going to happen. But when I use words that are beyond my yes or beyond my no, the word tells me that I'm tapping into something that comes from the evil one. And now I've put her in a position, the moment that she comes back to me at five o'clock that evening and says, hey, can I have that ice cream now? And I say, oh, we're not gonna have ice cream today. But all day she was hoping that I was going to give her ice cream. Now I've put her in a position where maybe her hope has been stolen, has been killed a little, kind of a bit destroyed. It's not as strong as it was. Does her perception as me, uh, as her dad, does it shift a little bit? Because now she doesn't know if I actually mean what I say. Expectation builds hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And the moment that we can actually use our yes or we can use our no correctly is the moment that when desire becomes fulfilled in a child's life. And I, I love using the example of kids because I, obviously the Lord is a father. It obviously he uses our relationship with our kids so often. Um, but kids can teach us a lot. But in terms of expectation and hope, this is where we find these two disciples uh, on this road to uh, Emmaus. Um, they're in this position where their hope was that Jesus is going to come and redeem uh, Israel. He's going to come and redeem God's people in a manner that is different than what they actually even experienced. And they had this hope that Jesus is going to come uh, with, with guns blazing, basically. And biblical definition of hope is an expectation of good. Sometimes our expectation is built on previous life experience or what someone else says. And I have to be careful about building expectation that Jesus didn't allow me to build. If I build my expectation based on my previous life experience, then that might become my truth, which violates or goes in opposition of the truth of the word. And now I have an expectation built from my own life experience that is my truth. That this is how this is going to work. And when it doesn't, my hope is now deferred, which potentially makes my heart sick towards the Lord. All because I built something off of an expectation that God didn't ask me or give me permission to build. These men expected Jesus to come in this way of a radical warrior where he comes and he destroys people with swords, like Peter. They're expecting more of like a Peter, where Peter takes out his sword and he chops off the guy's ear, right? They didn't expect Jesus to be this redeemer that picks up the guy's ear who is actually trying to arrest him, picks up his ear and puts it back on his head. That's not what they were hoping for in a redeemer. They were hoping for like the William Wallace kind of guy or the, the Wyatt Earp kind of guy. 
who was just going to come in and clean house. And that is not exactly what Jesus was, and that's not who they got. They hoped for something different. And since they didn't get that something different, they are on this road to Emmaus from Jerusalem with this sad, broken countenance. It says that they were actually in disbelief that Jesus even rose from the dead because when they went to the tomb, Jesus wasn't even in the tomb. And it was like they were in such a dire position where they needed evidence with their eyes to actually even believe now. That's where their hope had gone. And so I want to share a couple of things with you um, that, that I believe we can lean on when it feels like we're in the middle of a hopeless situation. And I use the word feels like we're in a hopeless situation because there's no situation in the Lord that is hopeless. Amen? We serve a giant God. And so I'm going to share a couple of things with you. The first thing is this. In the middle of situations where you feel like there is no hope, you need to understand that Jesus is prepared to walk with you as long as it takes for you to recognize who he is and what he wants for your life. We often go through these moments where uh, we're walking with Jesus and everything is perfectly in stride. You've been in those positions where it's like, it's like, you're hitting on all cylinders. Jesus is walking with you. You're walking with Jesus. You pray it, it comes to pass. You sow a seed. You get crazy return on it. Like, it, it seems like nothing in your relationship with God could be uh, interrupted. They're like the most incredible times in your relationship with God. You're like, I'm going to serve you forever if it's always like this. Yes, I'm so happy that I signed up for this. And then there's moments where it doesn't go that way. It's the other way. It's like, I've been praying you find yourself like the prophet who's in the cave. He's like, I'm the only one left. They all left. There's, there's no more. I'm, I'm it. We get in these places where it's like, Jesus, you, you've completely abandoned me. I've called for you. I've asked for you. I've prayed for the same thing over and over and over again. I'm getting nothing from you. And so now I'm just going to go a different direction. I don't see your evidence. I don't hear your evidence. I don't know what else to do, but I, I, I had hoped for something different. I remember what it was like walking with you. When you think about these disciples for a moment, like I remember, they remember what it was like when Jesus is literally on the earth with them. The miracles, the signs, the wonders. I wonder if they were also in the house when the guys ripped off the, the roof of the house and lower, lowered the man, the paralytic man in front of Jesus and Jesus actually heals the guy because of their faith. Like, I wonder all of the things that these disciples had seen, and then all of a sudden they hear that Jesus is resurrected, but they go to the tomb and he's not there. And so now they're literally downcast and dejected, but they're walking away from where Jesus said, stay here, which was Jerusalem. Jesus, uh, it says that he walks, this is a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus. He walks seven miles with these guys, and when they get to where they're going, it says that he has this demeanor. Verse 28, it says this. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. And what I want you to understand is this, is that Jesus is prepared to walk with you as long as it takes for you to actually recognize who he is and what he has for your life. It doesn't matter how hopeless your situation seems to be. 
He is willing to walk seven miles and beyond seven miles because his only intention is to actually reveal himself to you in the fullness of his glory and who he is and what he actually died for you to live uh, and pick up in your own life. He's willing to walk so much further than you've ever given him credit for. He's actually willing to walk further than you're willing to walk. Like, Jesus, I've been trying to do this for so long. I feel like I've been walking around the same mountain for all this time. I feel like I've been bringing this thing to you over and over and over again, but nothing's happening. And he's like, man, I'll just keep walking with you. It's going to happen. I want to show you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am, and I'm prepared to walk with you f- as long as it possibly takes. Jesus is willing to walk as far as you need him to walk. The second thing is this. In the middle of these moments, Jesus is waiting on your invitation. Jesus is waiting on your invitation. In verse 29, it says this. After Jesus had indicated that he would walk further, it says, but they urged him strongly. They said, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. And I love the moment that as they urge Jesus to stay, as they urge Jesus, as they invite Jesus into their intimate setting, it says that they sit at a table that was prepared. Jesus takes the bread. He gives thanks for the bread. When he breaks the bread and he goes to give it to them, they see him and he disappears. What I love about this is that in the middle of situations where the Lord is walking with you, but hope has so blinded you that you can't even see that he's with you, that the moment that you discontinued inviting him into your quiet place, he's gonna show up. We often practice hearing the Lord in a public setting. Yes, you can hear God in a public setting, but where you should practice hearing the Lord is in the private setting. This is exactly what's happening. I don't know that they were the only three people walking the seven-mile road. What else was happening in, this, in the middle of this journey? How many people were on the road? What other chaotic things were happening that they couldn't even actually recognize that it was Jesus? But the moment that they're in this quiet place, the moment that they actually prepare a place and Jesus comes in and they say, would you come, please stay with us, he reveals himself. I was reminded of a testimony uh, of a young adult who used to be a part of our church and lives in Lubbock, goes to the church there, and she had Lyme's disease. And Lyme's disease, supposedly there's no cure for Lyme's disease. And uh, she had come to church many, many times, was a spirit-filled believer, just loved the Lord. And it was always this presentation of like, Lord, will you heal my Lyme's disease? I know you can. Lord, will you heal my Lyme's disease? I know you can. We had a guest speaker and he said, I feel like there's someone that's brought the same thing to the Lord a bunch of times and he's just telling you to just change your perspective and shift it off of the thing that you're bringing to him and shift your perspective only onto him. And in this moment, it clicked with her. And so, as she normally would have brought this disease to him that was important to her, which was important to God, she, she says, I'm, I'm literally just here for you. She felt something shift in her body, and it was actually the Lord completely healing her of Lyme's disease. 
hadn't dealt with it since, over five years ago. And all that to say is this, whatever your situation is, it wants to blind you, it wants to speak louder than the word, it wants to speak louder than, uh, than God, it wants to speak louder than peace, and it wants to get you so caught up in what you don't have and what you're wanting that you actually forget that you're even available and have the opportunity to come boldly to the throne room of grace and prepare a place for the Lord where he actually comes and he meets with you. It wants to completely overtake you. And so my, my charge to you this morning is revisit and rebuild your secret place. What is, what is the secret place to you? And do you have a secret place where you and the Lord meet? Or do you only practice in public trying to hear a voice that is a still small voice? Do you only try to hear God in the midst of all of the other nine million things that you have going on as a mom or a dad or a single parent or an employee or an employer? How often are you just saying, Jesus, this time is consecrated for you? I'm gonna set a chair here, and I'm gonna set a chair there, and we're gonna sit and we're gonna have a conversation. And I'm not leaving this room until I know that I, I was with you. It's in those moments that the Lord comes. It's in those moments that you start hearing and understanding and realizing that that little poke, that little prod, or that little nudge, that was God the whole time, but I thought it was something different because I couldn't decipher it because of all of the things that I had going on in my life. But in the quiet place, it's the same thing over and over. It's just the nudging of the Lord saying, I am right here, and I've been here the whole time. I need you to practice with me here. The word says in Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you pray, you go into your secret place, you go into your, your room, you shut your door, and you pray to the Father who is in the secret. And the Father who sees in the secret rewards you openly. There's something about us realizing that Jesus is willing to walk farther than you think he is, but then also if you'll just invite him into the place that you've prepared, he'll instantly speak to you about your situation. It's the truth. I love the redemption parts of God and how he redeems so many things. But even in verse 33 of what we read, after Jesus reveals himself, it says that they got up that very hour and they went back to Jerusalem another seven miles. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus told the disciples, you stay in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high. It was like these were orders, so to speak. And these men had left that because they were dejected and hopelessness had set in. And the moment that their hope is restored, they go back to where Jesus said to go. And that is where in the book of Acts, that when they're gathered in the other room, the Holy Spirit comes. And now they're not only just living a saved life and a redeemed life, they're living an empowered life. And I believe that Jesus wants to take you from this place of feeling like your situation is hopeless to 
to you actually understanding that once you're saved, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and now he's given you the Holy Spirit so you can live an empowered life to actually never revert back to the way that you used to think. He talks about not being conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I renew my mind by being in the word, and I renew my mind by being in the presence of God. Hearing how he speaks, knowing what his heart is like, it shifts everything about the way that I think. It transforms me. And if you even take this word transform in that scripture, it's actually the word metamorphosis. That goes on to talk about like this, this idea from a, a caterpillar going to a butterfly. It never returns back to the state that it started in. Meaning that if you'll just allow yourself to, one, realize that God is willing to walk with you as long as you need him to walk, but then you'll just begin to create these places where you invite him in so that he comes and shifts your perspective about hopelessness and infuses you with joy and infuses you with hope. You'll actually be transformed in such a way that you'll forget the former things and you'll walk in the new thing that he actually gave his life for you to walk in. Super awesome. It's so awesome. I'm going to close here. Luke chapter 24. We, we read all of this, verse 27. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. I don't know what you had hoped for. I don't know where your hope has been deferred, but I just believe this. Just like these guys, the story's not over. And just like these guys, God wants to reveal himself in a mighty way to you. It's not only for you, but it's for the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you, the people that live in your house. His redemption plan of restoring hope is not just for you, but it's for the people that are around you that you're meant to influence. When you're connected to Jesus, there's always hope because the truth is, is that he is the God that turns what the enemy meant for harm into your good. He's the God that knows the things that you need before you even ask him. He's the God that's thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand. Come on, this is the Bible. He is the God that saw fit to bring you this far and he's not the kind of God that wants to leave you. He didn't say, oh, you know what, I'm gonna bring them through all of these things and I'm gonna get to this one thing and then I'm gonna leave them right there. Good luck, you're on your own. It's not who he is. I want you to highlight this, remember this, confess this, proclaim this over your life. Psalm 62, verses five and six. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation or my hope is from him. He only is my rock and he's only my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be moved. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.